This is episode 56 of Alohomora for November 9th, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Michael Harley. And our guest today is Erin Southam. She is a teacher and librarian. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your kind of background with Harry Potter, and definitely let us know what house you're in. Okay, well, I'll start with that. I'm a Hufflepuff. Very oh, proud yay. to be so. Yeah, we've got three puffs <laughs> on the show. I'm so outnumbered today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I have what I consider to be a dream job. I'm a middle school librarian, and so I'm able to incorporate my passion for Harry Potter into my daily job. Um, I have a Harry Potter book club at school. We also have a Quidditch team. Um, I've been a fan pretty much since the books came out, and I love to take part in almost anything um, Harry Potter related, and I'm just super excited to be here with you guys today. That is so fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, and Erin is not a stranger to Alohomora. She mentioned her Harry Potter book club. Um, she actually had her students uh, join up with the show for a Google Hangout. Um, I guess it's been a couple of weeks now. Um, Kat, Eric, and I joined uh, with the book club, and they were wonderful and delightful students, and we definitely enjoyed it. It's good to see Harry Potter alive <laughs> in so many generations. And they were just so excited. They're like, when are we meeting again? So... <laughs> We'll definitely have to meet up again. <laughs> they loved it. We do want to remind you guys that we are nominated for the podcast awards. And MogulNet as a whole is nominated for four different podcast awards. You have now less than one week to still vote for us. Voting ends November 15th, and you can vote every day until then. To remind you guys, we, Alohomora, are nominated in the categories of Entertainment and People's Choice, Hogwarts Radio is nominated for Best Produced, and MuggleNet Academia for Education. So make sure to get to podcastawards.com and vote for those three podcasts in those four categories. Make sure you use a valid email, because after you vote, you're going to get a nifty little email with a link that will let you validate your vote. you got to do that or the vote won't count. And again, we just want to say thank you for the nominations you guys gave us that made us nominated in the first place and all the votes you've been giving us. It's been great to see you tweet and post and all sorts of things about how you're voting for us. We definitely couldn't do it without you. So thanks a lot. And so on with the show. Before we get started, we need to remind you all to read Chapter 18, The Weighing of the Wands. But before we get to our discussion on this week's chapter... We are actually going to look back on the previous chapter's discussion uh, or from last week on chapter 16 and what was discussed last week about that. Um, and some of the is that comments... Right? Hang on. Is We're it on chapter, chapter 18 this 70, week. 17, chapter right? 17? Oh, no, but... Yeah. That yeah, 17, 17. <laughs> Whoop. Counting is hard. All right. Let's say that again. But before we move on to this week's chapter, uh, we're going to look at some comments that you guys left about le the previous episode's discussion on Chapter 17. Uh, and we're going to start with an audio uh, clip from our audio boo that was left by Lisa from California. Editor's note, this audio boo has unexplicably gone missing. We suspect Nargles. Um, so 
just so you all know, the, the, the comment is about the age line and in general, it's the idea of the polyjuice potion and whether that would fool the age line and would it spit out the name of the person who is actually playing the person or would it play the, or would it spit out the name of the person who's like the polyjuice person? So. Good question. It's a really interesting idea. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. but I think. Polyjuice potion is kind of an exterior thing, like it changes your appearance, same as kind of transfiguring or the age potion would do. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it would probably still spit out your own name rather than the polyjuice name, and I don't think it would work if you were still younger than the age line. Well, yeah, I'm with Rosie. Yeah, well, because this would also imply that the because if you use the polyjuice potion, you would still be entering. Your na- like the name of you because your the goal is to get yourself into the tournament. That's true, yeah. So you don't unless, want to the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and so unless the goblet actually knows how to change the name of somebody on the paper, um, <laughs> although we don't know what the what powers the goblet has, so I, it could very well do that. But you, it, it would have to actually be able to change the name. Wonder what would happen though if you took the polyjuice potion and the a- the um, aging potion together, like. That would probably have some horrible side effects. <laughs> but um, we had a few other comments about the uh, age line because that was a very big topic of discussion on the last episode. Um, from the website, uh, Madame Lestrange said, this may be very far-fetched, but would the invisibility cloak have worked for, for Harry if the age line was drawn by Dumbledore and therefore the Elder Wand? Uh, which hallow would prevail? Because there was discussion last week that Harry could have gotten over the age line because he was wearing the invisibility cloak. And the idea that because the invisibility cloak is a hallow, that it would have canceled out the age line somehow. Um, so we're saying hmm. here that we've got two hallows in play. What do you guys? That's think? really interesting. I don't know. <laughs> um, that one's a hard one. Because <laughs> there's a suggestion from the website from from Aridin that maybe the Elder Wand is what made it possible for Dumbledore to create such an intelligent age line. Um, is it really that intelligent though it's just checking if you're younger or not <laughs> yeah no to uh, but uh, i guess the debate you know on the show at least has been that like how effective is something like an aging potion or polyjuice yeah. potion um and why isn't a potion that is technically supposed to age you why doesn't it work on an age line um yeah. i guess my thought with the, like the the hallows um clashing here is the the power of the invisibility cloak isn't the purpose of that power is not to overcome what the Elder One has done here. So I don't think it necessarily will overcome this particular spell. Yeah, the Hallows don't necessarily cancel each other out. Right. They're, they, they're actually supposed to be used in complement to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also had another comment from the forums, Leslie Lovegood, who said, In Deathly Hallows, the trio sets off the caterwauling charm when entering Hogsmeade under the cloak. The cloak, with all its power, does not protect the trio from this charm, and I would think the same principle would apply to the age line. Yeah. That's because I agree with that. Yeah, so the, the cloak isn't really intended to get you over an age line anyway, mm-hmm. um, is basically mm-hmm. the point here. Because, uh, you know, your feet will always be showing, because they grew. They don't fit under that cloak anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the, the kind of the discussion, the end of the discussion about the age line. Uh, but one of the other, uh, topics of discussion was about, uh, Fleur and Crum and Durmstrang and Bobatin sitting at the Slytherin and Ravenclaw tables. 
Um, and Crookshanks Eleven on the website asked, "What houses would you sort Fleur and Crumb in if they went to Hogwarts? Do you agree with Slytherin for Crumb and Ravenclaw for Fleur, or do you have another take on that?" See, I always found this really interesting because I never really understood. Well, I I, under- I think I know why, but I don't necessarily get the like automatically putting especially Bobaton and Ravenclaw. I think it has to do with like each house gets something like Hufflepuff and Gryffindor have their champions. Durmstrang goes to Ra- uh, Slytherin. So kind of maybe by default, Bobaton goes to Ravenclaw. But I never I just don't see those two necessarily meshing that well. No, I think Fleur is very kind of um, she's very proud and very kind of full of that kind of Mm. self-centeredness so like that could either be sometimes it's a Slytherin or sometimes maybe even Gryffindor occasionally yeah I agree Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and I think I would put Crumb in Gryffindor as well because he strikes me as very brave definitely well yeah as some people pointed out because there were a lot of I couldn't document all the responses to that question that was posed on the website because there were a lot of responses but a few people pointed out that Crumb doesn't really enjoy his fame which would be a Slytherin mark. Um, so and he, doesn't he never really, really does anything well. bad. Like, the only bad thing right. he does mm-hmm. is when he's under the spell that Moody casts on him, so. Yeah. And actually, when we see him later at the wedding of um, Bill and, and Fleur, we, we definitely see some Gryffindor qualities um, when he gets very upset about um, Xenophilius, so. Yeah, that's true. I've always All won- he wants is Hermione to love him. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered if the, if the, um, if the other schools actually have their own sortings and have houses like that, or if they're just all under one kind of just umbrella. Do American schools have kind of distinct houses? Um, I... Go ahead, Aaron. Oh, no, I was just trying to think about that. Maybe um, private schools, public schools yeah. definitely don't. Yeah. 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 The only thing but I can think about it is like when you get to college and there's a yeah. Greek life, yeah. and that's the closest I could really think of. Because there are, to an extent, houses in general secondary schools in the UK. Um, not so much in kind of everyday schools, a lot more in private schools and things. And again, yeah, when you get to university, you get a lot more of that kind of thing. Um, so I was just wondering if it's kind of a peculiar to the UK thing that you would be kind of separated and pitted against each other for some reason. Um, but uh, if it's yeah. kind of more general, then it, then it could be possible that other places have houses, but I don't think it's necessarily important to them in the same way that it was for Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Well, and we don't know how many students are at each school either. No, that's right. true. Um, if it's a smaller population, it seems less likely for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. So then we also had uh, some discussion on the forum about uh, why... S- uh, there was a question last week about why Snape was present um, for when Harry... They're trying to figure out if he entered his name in the Goblet of Fire uh, because there are no other heads of houses... Um, in the room. Uh, there's no reason for him to be there at all. And there's <laughs> supposedly no reason for him to be there, but uh, The Lost Diadem from the forum said, I think that Snape joins in on the conversation that takes up most of that chapter because of his vow to protect Harry. Harry will be in a lot of danger during the tournament, and it is probably clear to him that putting Harry's name in the goblet was a sinister move. He therefore wants to be involved in the discussion because he is involved in protecting Harry. And uh, this was mentioned by quite a few people that uh, some people even suggested on the forum that uh, Dumbledore asked Snape to be a present um, during this meeting. So do you guys think this is kind of another hint of how Snape is supposed to be watching over Harry? 
I think if there were a reason why he was in the room, that would be it. I don't necessarily know um, if Dumbledore would have asked him to come in the room, but um, I think if there was a reason he was there, it would be because of the protection of Harry. Because, because, of course, Snape still uses this opportunity to be really snarky. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and horrible. But I almost feel that if it was purely just that, then Dumbledore would have sent him back out. Um, or at least kind of encouraged him to maybe be like, Severus, why don't you go check on everyone else? <laughs> so yeah. he, but he does let him stay. It just seems like we get so many of these moments where, I mean, obviously McGonagall's there because she's the deputy headmistress, but we get more of these moments that seems like Snape really is, in this twisted, odd way, Dumbledore's right-hand man Mm -hmm. when it comes to school issues like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never really thought about it in the the sense of him being helpful (laughs) in this scene before. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea. I'll I'll, I'll reconsider my (laughs) reason to be there. And as we find out in Deathly Hallows, uh, Snape is, Dumbledore does keep Snape updated on almost everything related to Harry. That's true, yeah. So mm-hmm. we get like a whole rundown from every year of the things they talked about. Uh, so that definitely could be part of that. Uh, Maybe and, Snape's also trying to keep an eye on Karkaroff for Dumbledore. Yeah, that's true. As you guys mentioned last week, there are, Three former Death Eaters in the room. That's right. It's insane. Of course, we don't know about one of them, but still. uh, We don't know about two of them at this point, I think. Do we know about Dumbledore yet? Well, we we don't. We, the reader, don't. And then there's the one that no one in the room actually knows about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you guys raised the question last week, too, about um, why perhaps Dumbledore continues to let Harry in the tournament and uh why he's not more resistant to taking him out of it and of course there was the discussion about whether the goblet would actually let that happen um and then there was also the suggestion uh i know patrick had suggested because it's mentioned in the movie that mcgonagall and dumbledore talk about kind of letting this situation play out but on the forums uh cassandra 1447 uh stated uh kind of summarized why this would be a bad idea. She said, Harry's outclassed. Without Crouch Jr.'s help, he would have failed tasks one and two completely and potentially have been seriously injured. Dumbledore would not have allowed Harry to attempt something he is woefully unprepared for when, at this point, there is no exigent circumstances. I feel like having Moody as a professor was Dumbledore's preparation plan for Harry this year. There's also Dumbledore's reasoning that at the end of Order of the Phoenix about wanting Harry to have a normal, quiet year, why wouldn't this have applied in Goblet of Fire? Dumbledore being forced to abide by the rules of the tournament clues in the reader that events are moving beyond his control. Hogwarts is transitioning from being a rather isolated environment under under Dumbledore's control to being integrated with the events, politics, and war of the entire wizarding community, and Dumbledore no longer being the only leader who matters or has influence over the school. Um, so this is a big comment, but I, you know, the gist is essentially that this is where we're starting to see Dumbledore lose control and perhaps Hogwarts isn't as safe as everybody's saying it is this year. Um, so that, so it was, it was just interesting because I, I, I did, I, I agree with this. I'm inclined to agree that Dumbledore kind of, you know, sees Harry as some kind of precious, precious porcelain piece that he's not Mm going to let get seriously injured. Um. Especially yeah, be- I think they would all do something to protect him during the tournament, and that's why um, he lets him carry on. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. not going in there completely um, unprotected. 
And interestingly enough, because a lot of people on the forums actually said that they did not like that scene in the movie when Dumbledore <laughs> and McGonagall discuss with each other about just letting things play out and see what happens. Um, yeah. So they cut so much out of this book for that movie that just adding things in just annoys me. <laughs> right. <laughs> they could have done other things and made it better, but never mind. Definitely. And lastly, we have a voicemail from Harrison, whose nickname is Harry. Hello, my name is Harrison, although I've been nicknamed Harry for my love of certain seven books and eight films. I wanted to comment on the episode that just came out, well, today, yesterday, whenever it did. And I wanted to say, why didn't anyone use Veritasirum? Wouldn't it have been really easy for Dumbledore or someone to have gotten some Veritasirum or even ordered Snape? I know Snape wouldn't have wanted to, but wouldn't it have just cleared Harry's name? If And Harry would have definitely drank it, you know, to prove that he didn't do it. It would have been the one true way of proving that he didn't do it. Um, so anyway, that's just that. And I'll hope to be hearing more of you guys soon. Because yeah, there's I mean, sanctions on Veritaserum. You can't just use it all the time. Right, yeah. Just good we talked, dumping go it down people's throats, right? Right, right. <laughs> what were you going to yeah, say, we, Caleb? I was just going to say, I think this is something we've talked about before looking forward in this book, that Veritaserum is, is a wonderful thing, but it is not something that is just so easily used and that's sort of taken for granted. Definitely. Well, and, you know, I, I think the the following year, Umbridge very much abuses the use of Veritaserum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they run out. Um, so, and which is something I don't think Dumbledore would actually sanction. No. Um, and there's a difference as well between what they do with Crouch at the end and trying to answer one question. Mm-hmm. Like, with Crouch, they want the whole kind of story over an entire year, so that's going to take a while. If you're just going to ask one question and you give them a whole dose of Veritaserum, they're going to be spouting truth for hours. You don't want that. Well, and there was this is a, like that was a crime. Like he killed people. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's Very just entering a tournament. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Veritaserum should be used for you know maybe criminal or suspected criminal uh, actions rather than just oh you know we kind of want to know did Harry yeah. put his name in or not? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There would probably be a lot of abuse of that if that were what it was used for. Um, and it's certainly not, I suppose that would, there, I feel like Dumbledore has a sense of like his students' rights. Um, so Sometimes. most <laughs> of the time, I mean, he does use legitimacy on them a lot. Yeah. Um, but we want to thank you all for all of your wonderful comments uh, that you left on the episode. And if you ever want to leave any more for us, there's a lot of ways to do that. Please visit the forums, our website, and you can leave us audio messages. Um, and we got a lot of those from this, from last week's episode. So thank you all. So we will go on now to the podcast question of the week from last week. Um, so we're moving from one person putting their name in the Goblet of Fire to another. Um, we asked, do you think, hypothetically, if the Triwizard Tournament had existed without age restrictions back in the era when Tom Riddle was at Hogwarts, would he have entered and would he have been selected? And we had so many comments for this this, this week, guys. It was amazing. Like You're all having little conversations in there as well, backing up each other's ideas, and it's just really nice to see. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, let's get on to some of these comments now. The first one comes from Helen the Eagle, and it says, I agree that he would not have entered when he was younger. Um, he still had this wait-and-see attitude back then, 
and cheating is definitely his thing. It would be complicated, though. He would want to win no matter what, um, but he can't risk revealing how much he has dabbled in the dark arts. He would use this opportunity to show everyone how brilliant he is at magic while showing his Death Eaters to be that, even with, without dark magic, he is still not one to be crossed. Um, so this comment slightly contradicts itself in that she says that he wouldn't have entered and then talks about what happens if, if he did enter. Um, but it's interesting that lots of people were saying that if he did enter, he would definitely cheat to win. Um, because, you know, he's Tom Riddle and he can't fail, because that would be a bad thing. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think he would cheat if he did enter? Yeah, he killed, yeah, he he, entered, he killed no people way. at school. <laughs> yeah. He killed one person and it technically wasn't him, it was his snake. <laughs> but it was th- it was via him. Yeah. <laughs> Listen here, guys. Rosie is defending Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do well, that again? Cheating is kind of an acceptable part of the Triwizard Tournament, right? Kind Absolutely. of a tradition. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, the next comment is from Medina, and it says, "I think definitely Voldemort wants all the eternal glory he can get. Um, he has a very strong desire to show how powerful he is as a wizard." And I think he would have, uh, he would be selected if the goblet's choice of champion was based on how powerful a wizard he is. And Voldemort both uh, has both the magical genes and the will to work really hard to become a great dark wizard. Unless the goblet took purity and goodness of the person into consideration. Mm. So there was a lot of discussion about how the goblet actually chooses people. I think we'll have another uh, comment or two later on about that. Um, but a lot of people were saying that if it's kind of power alone, then, you know, you'll definitely going to choose Tom Riddle at this point, no matter who else enters their name in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I would be more inclined to agree with, that it's about power alone. I don't think it makes moral judgments. Yeah, I that's think... That's very complicated. I think that's... I'm, I mean, although the, the four people who are chosen, they do all seem to, at least at various points, have good sense of morality, but at least in this, this tournament. But I, I'm inclined to agree, too, that it, the, the goblet picks more on power because... The, it kind of, and, you know, he, he's, we're going, we're going to talk about him later in the chapter, but, uh, Mr. Ollivander and the way he appraises wands and especially Harry's one, he's like, oh, Voldemort did great things. Terrible, <laughs> but great. And I feel the goblet kind of thinks the same way. Yeah. Um, it sees potential in people, mm-hmm. um, and power, so it doesn't really account for personality. Okay. Let's see if you agree after a comment later on. We'll, we'll find out. Okay, so the next comment is from Caitlin, and it says, I don't think that he would have entered. Riddle obviously viewed himself as a proficient and powerful wizard already, and wouldn't go for this tournament like a jock-like person would um, in order to prove himself. Riddle wanted glory of a more violent, more personal, and perhaps even more intimate fashion. In Half-Blood Prince, we learn that he was already questioning Slughorn in his teenage years about Horcruxes. So I think he would have been too busy planning and ensuring his immortality in order to worry um, about such an event that could have very well killed him. And I don't think he would care about the money he could get anything through intimidation. I totally agree with this. This is exactly what I was thinking. I do not think he needs the Triwizard Tournament. I don't think he would waste his time with it. Hmm. I think it would depend on... Actually, the next comment says exactly what I was about to say, so I'll, I'll wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think that, well, and even more so, I think that 
he probably doesn't, well, I mean, he's certainly confident in his abilities, but he has not worked himself up to the level he knows he's capable of. And I think trying to like walk in his shoes, he would be nervous that if he came up short, it would be a very big disappointment. Um, and he's not ready to show all of his cards. Do you think he might have talked one of his friends into kind of going, or friends or followers, whatever you want to call them, into going in? So maybe you'd, he would get Lucius to enter or something? Yeah, I mean, I think that's possible. I don't think so. No? I don't, Voldemort usually likes to be the the center of attention. <laughs> so well, then what are his death units for? He's not always the center of attention. <laughs> They're his wingman. occasionally. <laughs> That well, and that's that. But he only hides because he has to. He wouldn't have any reason. I mean, I mean, sure, Probably maybe the. Yeah, I I think because he was. I, that that it is interesting to note that that this would have happened around the time that he was working on, the Horcruxes, and that possibly would have I think been a major factor in him deciding. But I almost can't see him shying away from the advertisement of eternal glory. Like he <laughs> he probably wouldn't care about the money, um. But as far as the idea of getting all that attention um, and possibly having that attention segue into future opportunities for him, I don't think he would pass that up. Do you think that if he had entered and had won, would he then turn the Triwizard Cup into a Hulk, into a Horcrux as a trophy Ooh. of one of his crowning moments of glory? Probably. Because he does love things that mean a lot to him, or to, or he collects things. Mm -hmm. He's a hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a powerfully magical object, so it seems like it would be a good candidate for a Horcrux. Yeah. Okay, Uh, Spectacularly Hypothetical says, I think that the answer to this question relies on what year of schooling Riddle was in when the tournament took place. I think in his first few years, one to three, he definitely would have entered. He was young and full of himself at this point and wanted to prove that he could be full of eternal glory. If it was in the last few years of his Hogwarts schooling, five to seven, I don't think he would have. At this point, and maybe earlier, he had already decided his fate in Horcruxes um, and was working on creating them and would not worry on a silly uh, worry on a silly sporting event. Why would he need to prove that he had eternal glory when he would had already tethered himself to Earth? and was on his way to becoming the most powerful wizard of, of the age. I was thinking that this was a comment that I most agreed with, but actually thinking back, he's still, in, in years five through seven, he's still seeking approval um, at Hogwarts. I mean, he's still doing things to please the professors so that he stands out from other people. So... Um, in a way, I agree with this, that maybe in his later years, it wouldn't have been as important, but he's definitely still seeking glory um, and seeking approval and trying to set himself apart, even in years five through seven. Hmm. Yeah, and that think- actually made me think of something else, because even though he's doing horcruxes behind the scenes, that's obviously something he's not public about, and he wants to have a public... At least uh, shortly after school, he wants to be in some sort of public role. I mean, he seeks out the Defense Against the Dark Arts job. Mm -hmm. So I think this would be an opportunity for him to build up that public persona um, and prove his capabilities for whatever he wanted to do after school. Okay, and our final comment will come from Crookshanks11. And it says, 
On the subject of him being chosen by the Goblet of Fire, however, it could go either way. My initial reaction was yes, of course he would get picked, because even his magic wasn't used uh, wasn't used for good. Even Dumbledore could not deny in Half-Blood Prince that Riddle was an extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful and talented wizard, and that the Goblet would recognise that right away. But after reading the other comments, I did start to wonder whether the Goblet chooses champions based on their virtues, not only power or skill. I don't know if I want to argue that, because even though you can say that Fleur Delacour and Victor Crumb are good people without a doubt, um, but especially in this book they don't initially scream heroic or virtuous, and Fleur isn't particularly powerful either. Um, but one of but one thing I can say without hesitation is that if Tom Riddle was chosen as a champion, he would win, and he would make sure that he won. We know that he has no problem pushing others under the bus or cheating to reach his ambitions, and can't just imagine him mani- um and can't you just imagine him manipulating Slughorn to give him hints and or help? Poor Fleur, nobody can figure out why she was selected for this tournament. <laughs> the other Bobaton girls mostly. <laughs> that that's it. It's just ranking against them. Yeah. There well, are some good comments in discussion. Um go and read through the comments on the podcast questions week thread because there are some good kind of discussion of why those two were chosen. Um but she does seem to be a bit of an odd hero. <laughs> but she's very driven, you know? She's, yes. um, and that could be part of it. She wants to compete. She wants to win. So she's got that going for her, definitely. Well, and she certainly she believes in herself. Anything. She has no doubts in herself mm-hmm. whatsoever. And that's certainly important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, I'm, it, it's kind of funny because the, I think this comment kind of was thinking maybe it is personality and then they were like oh maybe it's not Um, (laughs) i like the idea that it takes the whole person into account rather than just power i mean that could be the case but i kind of like the idea that it would take you know virtues um and their you know goodness or purity into account as part of part of the whole person yeah i don't i don't know whether it's the case but i like that (laughs) Have we talked any like about how the the Triwizard or the Goblet of Fire other was like created? Have we, I don't feel like we have. Oh yeah, that was um, well, that was we a did. podcast question actually. Oh, that's yeah. right, we did. Okay, yeah. so I didn't. I was thinking we did it first, but then I couldn't remember where. So. We're, we're just waiting and crossing our fingers that Joe says something about it on Pottermore. Oh, that would yeah. be great. Yeah, that the history of the Goblet of Fire would be right. fantastic oh, yeah. to hear about. That would um, be great. All right, so we are now going to move on to this week's chapter. How's this for a headline? Chapter 18, The Wang of the Wands. Um, that's... Um... Brilliant, I know. Hey, there are not tears in my eyes. Okay, so as this chapter starts off, um, Harry and Ron are still in a little tiff because Ron is very jealous, and that's the focus of a lot of this chapter, and... It's actually my least favorite thing about this book, and make, which is why I hated this book. Well, I wouldn't say hate, but it was my least favorite book for a long time. Because <laughs> Harry and Ron's argument is the most annoying thing for me yeah. in the entire series. I have to admit, oh, I generally skip over these chapters. As the soon as he falls out with Ron, I generally kind of skip over this chapter and then the next one. And then as soon as it gets to the first task and he's talking to him again, that's when I'll... Yeah. Which is amazing for me because I love dragons and I miss the dragon <laughs> chapter <laughs> just it's, because I hate the fact that he's arguing with Ron. <laughs> it's really stressful when, when the trio are fighting. We just finished Prisoner of Azkaban in uh, the book club and 
uh, the chapters where Ron and Hermione aren't getting along are just terrible too, you know. Mm-hmm. So I agree, it's stressful, very stressful. Yeah, but yeah. I, but the, the uh, oddly enough, just as hard as these ch- this particular chapter, mm-hmm. especially history, because this is where Harry hits like an all time low, Rock I would bottom. say, yeah. around the right. school. It's this chapter is extremely important. <laughs> there's right. there's some key information in oh, this gosh, chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. so so, but I don't want to skip over that because the 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 idea of the fight because I think there are a lot of important things about it. Oh, um, definitely. It's really, the, it's really the first moment in which Ron, my personal opinion, fails Harry as a friend mm-hmm. because that next morning Hermione is immediately there for him. She meets mm-hmm. him um, as he's walking out of the Gryffindor common room, even bringing him toast so that he can avoid the Great Hall. And it yeah. made me think, like right here, especially. Well, I mean, clearly right here. But is this does this lend evidence that Hermione is a great as a better friend to him than Ron is? I wouldn't necessarily, it shows that she's a better friend, but I think for a lot of, you know, 14, 13 year old boys, they have difficulty handling emotions Mm -hmm. because everything is a bit too confusing. And I think this is the the real reminder that these are kids and they are going to fall out over kind of things like this. Um, And, you know, typically girls mature slightly earlier and have more than the emotional range of a teaspoon. Right. Um, (laughs) So I think it's Hermione being able to kind of tap into that a bit more than Ron is. Um, and, you know, Ron does redeem himself. He does try with the whole dragon thing. Um, mm-hmm. And the the Seamus says that Dean says that whatever it is in the movie that just gets on my nerves. Um, that whole sequence where he's, you know, he is trying. Um, and yeah, yeah he, he just handles it badly. Aaron, as a middle school teacher, what do you think? You, you do, <laughs> I, well, do, don't cite specific examples, but <laughs> you know. And I was even reflecting back to when I was this age, and um, you know, waking up, and you're, you know, you wake up, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden you remember that oh, you've had this falling out or something bad has happened, and just that whole sinking feeling, mm-hmm. you know that that things aren't as they should be. And I really think that Hermione does come to the rescue here. I mean, you know, Harry's feeling terrible and um, he goes down and she's got the toast and let's go for a walk. And so mm-hmm. I, I really admire Hermione for being there for Harry at this point. I love yeah. Hermione in this mm-hmm. chapter. I love <laughs> yeah. She always steps up when everybody else is losing their heads. Like she does. She's she's an amazing. I I I do think that, and th- I think this chapter, uh, in tandem with the chapter from Prisoner of Azkaban with the firebolt stuff that goes down, mm-hmm. is always some of the hardest stuff because nobody ever thanks Hermione. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they just get angry with her or they're kind of dismissive of her because pretty much this whole time Harry's just like. Well, Hermione's nice, and and she has toast, but Ron is funny, <laughs> and I w- I miss Ron. <laughs> well, it's like as soon as he realizes that he has Hermione on his side, then he immediately changes the subject to Ron because that's what's you know really bothering him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And if you think about everything that Hermione's going through in this book as well, like she's the, the whole young love thing is happening for her in this book, whereas it happens for the boys later on. There's a lot going on for Hermione, and yet yeah. she's still able to support them really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like that it points out that Hermione knew from the start. She mentions how she saw the look on his face, um, on yeah. Harry's face when Dumbledore read out their name. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's clearly the evidence for someone who's that close to Harry, something that Ron should have picked up on. But I think, like you said, Rosie, he he's 
not as mature as uh, emotionally as Hermione is here. That's a good point. Well, and to um, give Ron credit too, he does come from a very different family than Hermione. Yeah. Um, so, and that is that's exactly how she kind of summarizes why this is happening anyway. Yeah, Hermione would never have wanted to enter, really, I don't think. No. Whereas Ron really would have done. Ron would, yeah, Ron would have wanted to enter just for the sake of winning. Because, yeah. and the glory it would bring. Without really thinking about what happens in the process. Yeah, because in book one, when he's in front of the mirror, he sees himself as, what is it? Is it head boy? Or everything. He's just won the Quidditch Cup. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of everything in there. <laughs> so he does definitely, you know, have dreams of standing out for... Uh, as an individual yeah mm-hmm. so. and also this this section of the chapter gives us the chance to recognize that hermione has amazing insight on both of her her best friends i mean she really does care about them a lot she she sees that harry she she brings up that harry is always put in this position even though he doesn't really want it and she obviously has i think even more insight um into ron talking about his family and you can sort of see like that she's, I mean, she's very attached to Harry, but she, uh, I don't know, I guess reading back, it seems um, easier to recognize her feelings maybe toward Ron more than Harry, because she just seems so much more aware of what he's going through. Yeah. And I think this is the first time, too, when it's kind of explicitly stated that, um, you know, Harry's famous and he always gets all the attention. Um, and this idea comes back in later books too. So, but I think this is the first time when, you know, a character is actually verbalized and it's Hermione um, mm-hmm. talking about Ron being jealous. So yeah, and this, uh, what I like about this part is as difficult as it is to read is, is that this could be something that if, you know, an, any lesser writer could have easily just skipped over that aspect of the friendship and just had Ron be supportive of Harry and make yeah, this part really sure. easy. I mean, the, I always think back to as much as I once loved the series, the Chronicles of Narnia and the consequences of kind of what happens to those kids in that book. But C.S. Lewis doesn't really give focus to that and kind of just has them go romp through these little adventures all the time. Um, and there's really no consequences until the end of the series um, yeah. versus this, where she Rowling is always careful of kind of how old these kids are and she is so good at portraying that age. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, mm-hmm. just so on point. Yep. And Hermione is also there to not just help Harry emotionally, but also think ahead logically. She really has it all. Um, she suggests that he needs to write to Sirius um, about this to let him know. Because Sirius wanted to know anything that was going on at Hogwarts for Harry. Harry says no. He's worried about how Sirius would respond to this. But Hermione is already thinking more ahead. She's already considered the possibility that the Daily Prophet is going to give this story so much attention. Um, and finally, Harry agrees to Al Sirius. I love that she whips out, like, ink and quill and parchment. She's just like, go! have a quill with me! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so resourceful, that one. And the fact that Harry just doesn't even think that, you know, this is a big news story that's going to get out there. He's so single-minded in things uh-huh. like this. Of course, he hasn't met Rita Skeeter quite yet. True, but he's right. had, you know, the Daily Prophet around, and he knows that there are things going on. And he just doesn't even consider that this really, really famous tournament is going to be big news when right. something wrong happens. Um, but then we get a really, another amusing scene with Hedwig in this book, because Harry, <sighs> to send 
um, Sirius and Al, he knows that he can't use Hedwig, so he uses one of the school owls. Um, and Hedwig, after Harry tries to console the owl afterward, is having none of it once again. Oh, yeah. She, uh, her talons cut into his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, gosh, Hedwig. Yeah. And, he got an uh, attitude. Yeah. She clicks her beak furiously and soars up to the rafters out of reach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're, when your pet doesn't like you, you're, <laughs> <laughs> You've definitely hit rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that does go wrong for Harry goes wrong for Harry in this chapter. In this chapter. <laughs> um, and then Harry, um, through the narration, get we get commentary about um, how he's being um, responded to by the other houses. Obviously, well, that comes a little bit more later with all the houses, but obviously Gryffindor is very excited, but... The Hufflepuffs think that Harry has stolen their glory. It's really funny that today I'm the only Gryffindor. We have three Hufflepuffs. Yes, be careful. Be careful what you say, good sir. Oh, I do not care. I do not care. Because, Griffin, like, from, from my perspective, I'm just like, whatever. Like, I'm sorry, Hufflepuff. Like, you definitely got your champion, and that's great for you. But chill off Harry's back. He did not want it. And I don't know. Well, the Hufflepuffs always kind of have a continuous a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they do get overlooked so often. So it's probably not directed at specifically at Harry. I mean, if it had happened with anyone, they'd probably feel the same way. True. We have like no glory at all throughout the whole book. <laughs> I'm, you know, sure. Like, I'm sure. When Cedric wins the Quidditch thing, we don't even get to celebrate that because Harry got <laughs> yeah. off his broom. Yes, that, that we can't celebrate him here because of Harry again. <laughs> I can't, wine, 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 wine. I can't imagine it helped that the Gryffindors probably brought their giant party down to the Great Hall that morning. And <laughs> probably, because yeah. that's why Harry doesn't want to go in the Great Hall, is because he's sure they're still in there just freaking out, and that, that he'll get a big reaction if he goes in. Um, Plus, they stole all that food from the kitchens, traipsing past our, our common room all the time. Right? They're making such a noise. Exactly. <laughs> um and aside from Hufflepuff's response, of course Malfoy is going to be jealous of Harry's opportunity to be the star again. So he takes it to the level of just proclaiming that Harry is going to get killed and he won't make it very long in the, the Triwizard Tournament, as we could probably have expected from Malfoy. Yeah. Um, but they see him um, and the other Slytherins next in Care of Magical Creatures class, where they are still dealing with the Blast and its Groots, which they are now <laughs> going to take for a walk. How nice and <laughs> I'm sorry, but why couldn't this have been included in the movie? I mean, <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Right. Seeing him walk the scroots around the, the yard there. Yeah. And Malfoy's like, where do we attach the leash? Yeah, I, I, I do <laughs> the love... The stinger, the sucker. I love that the, these kind of little just moments of what's going on at school. I think those mm -hmm. actually tend to be some of the funniest moments in the book is how she describes like the horrible things that are happening to the students in the background. And I love that Hagrid's just like, oh, aren't they having fun? And Harry's like, he yeah, must be, he must be talking about the scroots. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and we also get from this lesson that Hagrid, um, without a doubt, believes Harry. Mm -hmm. So and that's important yeah. to find out. Definitely. And he says Dumbledore does too. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but then we all, it, uh, Harry hills back to Chamber of Secrets, re remembering how he was falsely accused then um, once he revealed um, inadvertently that he was a parcel tongue. Um, I mean, this it was a very, I mean, obviously different, cer different circumstances, but a very s 
somewhat similar situation where Harry was falsely accused. And I'm just very annoyed that the students at Hogwarts, I mean, obviously a lot of them are young, but still, should they have learned their lesson about jumping to conclusions, at least with Harry? This is something that I think kind of comes with celebrity status. Uh, again, just Rowling's really incredible insight into all the things she writes about, but this is something that we do with celebrities. It's like, if they do something good, we love them. And then if they do something even remotely something bad, we hate them. And we, we, sure. we, you know, really take them to task for that. Um, and I believe that this is, that's, cause this is not the first time this happens to Harry, nor will it be the last. Um, Especially for child stars as well. So if you think about Harry as kind of a child star. Oh yeah. He's done the Disney age and like now he's getting to the age where. He's Miley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's not his idea, if, even if he didn't do it himself, he's still the one that gets persecuted for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in Chamber of Secrets, it was a little more outlandish to suspect him of attacking students, whereas um, them believing that he put his name in the goblet is a little more believable because, yeah. you know, who knows? He could be seeking that glory and fame. Well, and we do have but to consider... But it's interesting that you'll get treated the same for just a little piece of paper as, you know, harming students. Harming people. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and, you know, we also do, again, we also have to consider that not everybody in school knows Harry. They know right, of him, right. but they don't know him. They know he's famous, and yeah, so, yeah, I agree. Um, but as Harry is lamenting all of these accusations, he's getting, he, he remarks that he probably could have, you know, dealt with all of the heat he's been taking, um, except for if, if, you know, <sighs> one thing could have just, if he would have gotten this one thing. And this is honestly one of the most depressing and sad lines in the <laughs> series for me. Um, it says, he thought he could have coped with the rest of the school's behavior if he could just have had Ron back as a friend. Mm-hmm. Aww. Yeah. And it just shows that in times of trouble, how much we rely on our close friends, you know, to get us through. And the fact that Ron's not there for him is, it's, it is, it's very sad, very stressful. Yeah. Um, but we do find out one of the more amusing things that Joe thinks up, um, and Slytherins are wearing when they get to the potions lesson uh they're wearing support cedric diggory badges and the the badges say support cedric diggory the real hogwarts champion and then um whenever you like hit it it flashes to potter stinks (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty funny actually um such a childish thing (laughs) it is but it's something it, it definitely made me think of of like these kind of like kitschy things that happen when you're in school Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it bugs you. It's something that would bug you, you right. know, especially with everything else. Well, and it's yeah. it's so clever because the, the teachers don't, uh, can't see it. They right. can't see the, the, the nasty part of it. The right. <laughs> so it's very clever on the student's part. Yeah, it reminds me, like, when I was teaching, like, my kids would have things that would sort of be double entendres or something, so they could, like, argue that it was okay to have them on their bracelets or whatever that obviously had some double meaning. Um, <laughs> kids are always thinking I think I things. know what you're talking about, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it made me think if... I mean, I wish we would have had more people from other houses so we could get different perspectives, but you guys are all Hufflepuffs. If you were in Hogwarts... I mean, obviously, if you put yourself in there, you're you're a little upset about Harry taking Cedric's 
um, spotlight, would you wear a badge like this? At least the part that just says support Cedric Diggory, the real champion. Honestly, no. Probably. No, I, I would not. I would. <laughs> Aaron, did you say you would? <laughs> I probably would. I mean, I don't know if I'd necessarily do the Potter stinks, but gosh, I'm supporting Cedric. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Aaron sh- support- shaking the box of badges <laughs> at, at Rosie and I. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, obviously, I would not wear one. I would be like taking out people who are wearing them, but, <laughs> or something. I would see the I would see the benefit that we've got two champions in the school, and maybe I'd wear yeah. one that says support both of them. There you go. There you, yeah. yeah. Cheer for Hogwarts. Right? Yeah. There you go. Support Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> Which man? That just makes me think that would be better. Yeah. We haven't gotten to more about Cedric yet, but why he's such a good person. But yeah, we'll get to that. Um. Okay, so Harry and Draco have a confrontation um, as they're getting ready for potions class. Um, and it, it forms after Malfoy calls Hermione a mudblood. Um, and they shoot curses at each other. And something really interesting happens that I had forgotten happens. But when the spells hit each other, they deflect. Um, Harry's spell hits Goyle and um, Draco's spell hits Hermione. And before we talk about what happens to her... I can't remember, I mean, surely there is, but off the top of my head, I can't think of another time where we see two spells colliding and them deflecting and hitting other people. Does that happen any other time in the series? I don't think so. And if that's the case, that's really weird, you know, what happens here, and there are obviously many other times where that would happen, and it makes me think of at the end of the series when Harry and Voldemort stupefy Nevada Cadaver. I mean, obviously that's kind of a different unique situation but Mm -hmm. you know why don't we see more of that when people are dueling or whatever i think we see spells miss each other and go and hit other people i don't think we ever see them like hit each other and deflect and maybe that Um, does have something to do with how they're cast and the power behind them and the timing of the cast as well there's there's a lot of mechanics behind magic that rolling kind of slips in is like even i think when we are first introduced to classes in sorcerer's stone where she's just like this isn't as easy as it looks um so i guess on occasion these things are prone to happen i like that this is such a small detail as well that then gets referred to later on with hermione um in particular Mm -hmm. um because this is the moment that her teeth grow and she can correct them through magic afterwards um so she, guys, she makes the most out of a bad situation. She does. Do you guys want to know a little about the spells? I looked them up on the lexicon. Yeah, sure. Of course. And so, um, Densagio, which is what Hermione's hit with. Um, the first part, Dens, um, refers, is the Latin for tooth. And Agio is the Latin for grow. So that's why her teeth grow. <laughs> that's and then, oddly specific spell. <laughs> and then the fernunculus um, is uh, comes from the English word furuncle, which is like furnuncle but without the n, and it's a fancy name for boil. Hmm. So thanks to Steve Vandark. <laughs> it just makes me think of like furry uncle or something. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they said maybe that's why they put the N in, because it makes it easier to say mm. for an uncle mm. than for an uncle. Um, so then we get um, a point that I think is very important. Um, I, so this is something that kind of takes an, an, takes to an issue of the whole series. So there are people out there who absolutely love Snape, think he's 
a wonderful they I for some reason just love him. And not to to um confuse anything, but I think Snape is a wonderfully written character. Um probably the most complex in the whole yeah, I would say the most complex in the whole series. Um and he does have his redeeming moments later, but it has always really frustrated me how people um just love Snape. And I think here for you Snape lovers, you get some cold hard medicine. Okay. Um because if you reread here, he's not someone to be fond over because the way he reacts to Hermione's teeth is one of the most cruel things that mm-hmm. someone could say, especially an adult to a child. So he sees Hermione's large teeth, um, and it's the, the text of the book is, Snape looked coldly at Hermione, then said, I see no difference. How awful is I- that? I have this in my notes too, Caleb. So I thought it was funny looking through yours. I have this and I said it's definitely one of Snape's cruelest moments, the exact words you used. Um, yeah, because, you know, she lets out a whimper, her eyes fill with tears and she just turns and runs. I mean, right. what an awful thing yeah, to say no. to somebody, you know, really cruel. Both of um, you, like, hallelujah. Thank you for saying this about Snape <laughs> because this is something I have kind of that that is Caleb that is exactly my stance on Snape this like since the beginning but all the way through and of course it evolved um with what we found out about him but at the same time no Snape is still a jerk face and even Rowling has said that um <laughs> that that he is not like people have kind of put him on a pedestal even Harry oh, yeah. does she's and she even says that at the end that Harry like naming his children right. like his child after snape she she even was like maybe he went a little too far <laughs> <laughs> I, I i agree this the the fact that this just came out like that he just said this um that's his ad- horrible first initial yes, reaction it is. that is not something you do to a student <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely think from like a teaching perspective in Aaron, I'm sure you can't either i cannot imagine mm-hmm. like no matter how justified you feel in your mind that one student did something correctly over another like you i would never dream of saying anything remotely no. close to that as a student to a student and especially at this age i mean the kids are so fragile at this age you know to say something like that is just really damaging and no excuse for that yeah looking at it not as snape the person but as kind of a character and a plot device um do you think it's really to break hermione down and to remind you that she's got you know, all the all these insecurities and all of these things that can be played on in order so that her you know the the moment on the stairs becomes all that much greater hmm. I, yeah i, I mean, think that's I part that. of it oh, yeah definitely yeah i think because because the teeth actually play a big factor in that moment yeah um because that's like when harry and ron notice that her teeth are smaller later on it takes them a while to get it <laughs> Yeah, um, like they've seen her around so much between this moment and that one, and they don't notice her teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, two. They they also don't under they don't. Re- it takes them a while to understand why Hermione would do that. Um, let her yeah. teeth just kind of go back, and they're just like, why would she do something like that? She's she's just so smart and focused on her studies, and then suddenly it hits them that oh, maybe she actually does have some insecurities. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. little girl wants to feel pretty sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
But a couple of things happen in response to Snape being so vicious to Hermione. Um, Harry and Ron both yell at him at the same time, and you almost get this moment where they're back together on the same... And for a moment, they are on the same team, um, yeah. and something they get detentions, which is obviously going to be important for them sort of getting back to um, getting back on better terms. <laughs> I almost say getting back together like there is a relationship. <laughs> but, um, I'm sure there's plenty of fan fiction about that. Um, but... Um, and then as Harry sits back down in class before he's taken away, um, he fantasizes using the Cruciatus curse on Snape. And this is really important because mm-hmm. we know that he does use it later in the series. And we sort of get to see that he is definitely capable of considering using it. Well, yeah, and he also mentions like running forward and bringing down a cauldron on his head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, definitely a darker side of Harry. Yep. But he's that's the point he's at at this point in the book. Fair it's enough. It's interesting what triggers it as well. I mean, when we see Harry really act out against Draco later on, it's not for any kind of noble reasons. But here it's literally protection overruling everything else. He wants to help Hermione. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is a nicer thing. But still, don't don't Cruciatus curse people, Harry. <laughs> it's a fair trade, though. Snape's eyeing him and being like, I'm going to poison you later. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Moody has pl- planted a, well, Crouch Jr. has planted a seed in Harry about, you know, what he can do for, in yeah. the sake of rec- retribution by using the Cruciatus curse, which he would not have maybe had without that teaching. And then he goes on to use it later in the series, so... Well, it's interesting, too, because we just finished up Prisoner of Azkaban, and um, at the end, when they're in the Shrieking Shack, and there's that uh, scene when Harry is planning to kill Sirius, yeah. quote-unquote, and that, that, you know, you're thinking, well, how's he going to kill him? They, you know, they, he doesn't know He doesn't how. even know the unforgivable curses at this time, and <laughs> what's he going to do? So, But maybe that makes it more interesting, because if... Like, that's the the book before. We haven't had the Unforgivables. He doesn't know any of the most dangerous spells yet. Mm -hmm. Like, it shows that Harry was still capable of it in that scene, Mm -hmm. which obviously then has to resolve itself very quickly, and he realizes how wrong he was. But Harry's always got this kind of darker side that we don't necessarily pay attention to. So, great power comes great responsibility, Harry. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm always surprised, too, just how people kind of because people had written into Rowling and she had responded to this about how they were, some people were actually disappointed that Harry used the Imperius curse later in the series successfully. Um, and the, but the thing is he was doing it in an extreme situation where there were no options left. Yeah. He would have died if he hadn't done that. And, you know, I, I do think that it's not, Rowling's not saying that Harry, like, you know, revels in killing people or anything like that or that he would or torturing people in any way it's just that he has his low days and he i don't think it we see in order of the phoenix that harry battles with that yeah yeah, and that he can't honestly no matter how angry he gets in that scene with bellatrix he can't actually cast a successful cruciatus curse Mm -hmm. on her and he's at the height of his anger and he can't do it um so I think that's... Which is good. Yeah, yeah. Imperio, Imperio seems a little milder than... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Colin Creevy comes along and saves Harry from Potions class and takes him away to the Wing of the Wands. So we're really starting to get into um, the kickoff of the Triwizard Tournament. 
And of course, we finally meet the wonderful, nasty Rita Skeeter. <laughs> um, and but, she, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the character description really stood out to me this time. Mm-hmm. How they describe her. I mean, because the, the movie Rita is not, in some ways, like the book Rita, but uh, how she's heavy jawed, um, with thick fingers, mannish hands. I just, I guess I never really cottoned on to that in previous readings before. Yeah. I got kind of a different picture of her this time. I think that comes under Joe using the kind of um, caricatures of the the ugly per- ugly character ma- mm-hmm. makes ugly person kind of thing. Right. Um, Gold so she's, teeth. She's, yeah. Whereas the movie, I mean, Miranda <laughs> Richardson is amazing. Um, yeah. And they're really playing on the fake side of Rita. Um, right, right. more than the kind of physical badness. Well, and what I liked about Rita, though, is that uh, in the movie was Miranda Richardson tried to get as close to the book description as she could. Um, yeah. Because they even discussed having her have the the gold teeth. Um, but really? she, okay. Yeah, but she said that it was too... They tried it, and she felt that that made Rita too unapproachable um, because she's okay. supposed to be able to pull you in before she, <laughs> yeah. she gets you. And... Um, <laughs> But I, I, unlike Umbridge, who is just like one of those despicable characters that you can't, like, she's just so beyond. Rita, I love because she, even though she's horrible, she does it with so much style and <laughs> hilarity. Like the quill, that quill, <laughs> her, her poison pen. Um, yeah. This portrayal of the press, this is fantastic. And speaking of pulling people in, that's exactly what she does with mm-hmm. Harry, getting an interview with him first, because he's, of course, the star story, and pulls him into a broom cupboard. <laughs> um, rather inappropriate. Uh, that's it, insensitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, Michael, you mentioned the quill, the quick quotes quill, and I think this is one of Rowling's most amusing inventions through the whole series. I, I just love the idea of it. Um, the way she hurt, I mean, you can just see her her exaggerated commentary on what journalism can be. Yeah. So how do you think the quill works? Do you, um, I mean, are these Rita's words that is the it quill alive? is writing? Is it alive? <laughs> is it a God. sentient being? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I almost feel like... No, but... Oh, go ahead, Erin. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. All right. I was just going to say, yeah. But uh, I, I was just going to say that I feel like this, the quick quotes quill is almost akin to a wand um, mm-hmm. in that it, it's because it's writing what she would say. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so it's extension her words, of your personality. Yeah. So I, I think it is similar to a wand. Obviously, it's not quite as deep magic as that, but it's it, it has the same I think bond with the wizard who owns it. Um, I think if like Harry had like if if it had switched to somebody else, it it would not like if it if Harry like took Rita's quill, it would still write what she would want it to write. So is she not even listening to what Harry's saying at this point? She's just already composing her own story? Definitely. Like Definitely. a real journalist. Like <laughs> sensational, sensational journalist usually does. Um, and we get this wonderful sequence of quotes from the book that I think it plays out a little, the words are a little different in the movie, but it's still a really great yeah. scene. Um, yeah. The quick quotes Quill writes, tears fill those startlingly green eyes as our conversation turns to the parents he can barely remember. I have not got tears in my eyes. <laughs> it's just, just great. Dan the words obviously does... have to be different because of the green eyes aspect. 
Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. So and yeah. Doesn't is he like, cut that out? Ghost of my past or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the ghost of his past. Yeah, that. <laughs> that Which is, is still equally brilliant. Yeah, Dan does a great job in this yeah. scene in the movie. Um, and Ollivander shows up because he is the one officiating the weighing of the wands. <laughs> and I love how he passively issues judgment on, um, Flora's <laughs> and Victor's wands who are clearly yeah. not made by him. He, like, starts to really say what his feelings are, but stops short. It's, it's really funny. Well, I, I like that, too, because on Pottermore, we get a sense of how proud Ollivander is of his wands. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, that he's, out of all of the, like, wand makers, he's, his family's been in this business the longest, and that that's, you know, this is his expertise, and he's even, you know, he insists on using certain cores and wand woods, and there are things that he won't use. He even points out when he takes Fleur's wand that he's like, oh, this is the hair of Avila. I would never, yeah. ever do that. <laughs> well, it probably is temperamental. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's just what it says in the book. I find it makes for rather temperamental wands. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> it's also the first mention we get of Grigorovich, which yep. obviously becomes mm-hmm. more important in the last book. Major name drop there. Yeah. Yep. Yes. It's interesting, too, that it's only the second time that Harry has seen Ollivander. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he hasn't seen him since the day in the wand shop, which is one of my favorite scenes from the books when, you know, Harry gets his wand. Um, you know, and curious. Yeah, yeah. And there's that whole, what? What's so curious? Yeah. It's curious you should be destined for this wand. Yeah. I, and just so. John Hurt as well. Like, perfect casting. Oh, definitely. Just the same, <laughs> that enigmatic character is just amazing with him. No, I agree. And I've always loved Ollivander, but I, I finally, um, in this reading, got, you know, the fact that Harry's actually kind of creeped out by Ollivander. Yeah. Because <laughs> of his, you know, moon eyes and his, you know, kind of creaky little voice and. Well, and I love too that, that Harry was on pins and needles that Ollivander was going to say something about his oh, once yeah. connection to Voldemort and that right. Ollivander had the sense not to. Um, yeah. Cause he did quite a bit of commentary, as you mentioned, Caleb, on everybody mm-hmm. else's wands. And then he just kept quiet for Harry's wand and made it shoot wine. And then he was like, done. Quite a bit of commentary mm-hmm. apart from for Cedric, who just, you know, it's just unicorn hair. <laughs> Unremarkable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, too, because uh, Fleur's wand, of course, Fleur is the French word for flower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then her, her uh, wand wood is rosewood. Rose so you have the mm. flower there. And then he does the orchidious charm. Oh, I didn't even um, think When about testing that. it out. Yeah. And I actually, I tried to look up rosewood, but um, rosewood is not included in Pottermore. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed so. that in the list of wands. But it's not an Ollivander wand. That's why. Yeah. Oh, that's probably true. Yep. <laughs> Well, and Caleb has a note on that about about Crumb's wand, though. Oh, I just put a note in because oh, I did Aaron's. look up their their uh, um, wand woods, and so Crumb's is hornbeam, and actually that's what Joe has as her wand wood. Um, when you look, oh, uh, you know what Potter though? Wood. That's actually that's Ollivander talking, not Joe. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, but it's yeah, but that's still an point. important point because actually Aaron you want to expand more on hornbeam because this is really interesting um well just that it selects um it selects a life mate a talented witch or wizard with a single pure passion which some might call an obsession (laughs) although I prefer the term vision that's what he says (laughs) which will almost always be realized 
Hornbeam wands adapt more quickly than almost any other to the owner's style of magic and will become so personalized so quickly that other people will find them extremely difficult to use, even for the most simple of spells. Hornbeam wands like, likewise absorb their owner's code of honor, whatever they might be, and will refuse to perform acts, whether for good or ill, that do not tally with their master's principles. Hmm. That uh, What I liked about this was the the mention of uh that it attaches it to, itself to somebody who has a very pure single passion and i would say uh-huh. with crumb that's pretty much correct because at least we get the sense from the from what our impressions of crumb that he he's kind of like that 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 kid that that kid who you're just like you know you're you're really good at sports but you you haven't really honed any other skills and and because <laughs> you don't have anything else going for you, Victor. Yeah, because Crumb Crumb doesn't really strike me as somebody who could go and do something else in the wizarding world. Um, and the narration on Crumb kind of suggests that he doesn't really have any other options. He just has to be a really successful athlete all the time. Um, but it's what he loves because he's ex- mm-hmm. he's really good at it. Um, so it's just I I liked that that you know again and we've. We've talked about this before, but that that rolling is not. She doesn't just choose arbitrary wand woods for everybody. She she thought mm-hmm. it through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get this slight slight side note. Um, and I'll go. Well, it could be very humorous for some purposes, but we're not going to talk about that on this show. <laughs> but it mentions that Cedric polishes his wand, and it seems regular, but. <laughs> My, my, well, not my first thought about this line, but my second thought about this line is why does no one else take good care of their wands? Like, it mentions that Harry finds his own wand rather scruffy and tries to, like, clean it off before he gets his evaluated. I mean. Do you, do you think the other students knew, the other champions knew that about the weighing on the wand ceremony? Cause I feel like Cedric got his ready specifically for this. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, because he does say that he did it the night before, so maybe he just did it in preparation. I think the others have probably researched the tournament a bit more, and Harry's still just going by what Hermione's told him, which isn't a lot. So Yeah, so I guess yeah. this is another good moment to show how ill-prepared Harry is for the tournament. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty funny, too, when the, the purple sparks shoot out, and <laughs> Flor Delacour gave him a very patronizing look, and he desisted. <laughs> He's just like, get over it, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> The chapter ends with Harry getting a response from Sirius, um, who Sirius wants to set up a meeting with him on the 22nd of November. Um, He asks about the Gryffindor Tower at one o'clock in the morning. So right now we don't know quite how Sirius is going to pull that off, but we know that that is in the future. And there's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) I, I, I just had to point out, since we had talked about... Harry and Hermione's relationship earlier that I love that Harry just goes, he, he, he thinks like, she's probably still in the hospital wing with giant teeth. I'm going to go to bed. It's <laughs> 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 like, go visit her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. He he's, think. yeah. Um, and it's interesting too that he's, he's left to eat dinner alone and he's got, um, extra summoning charms homework. Yeah. So we know. <laughs> That that's coming up for him. Yeah. He's going to be putting that into use in not too long. No, definitely some great foreshadowing there. That specific mm-hmm. homework that he's failing on is the one he's mm-hmm. going to need. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything mentioned in this chapter apart from maybe the toast that doesn't come up again in the future. <laughs> <laughs> like True. everything is important in this chapter. Yeah. Definitely. It's a great chapter. Definitely. So it's time for our podcast question of the week this week. And it's a bit of a tough one because there is so much in this chapter that we didn't quite know what to choose. Um, but we have gone for up to this point in the series. So over the last four or three and a half books, are we even halfway through yet? Probably not only a third through. Um, who has been kind of the best friend? We've, we've seen Hermione in this chapter give so much to each of the boys. She knows exactly what's going on with them and she's got all of her emotional stuff going on as well herself. But the boys just don't seem to quite get it yet. Um, so we want you guys to really come up with some examples of, you know, have the boys actually supported Hermione at all, other than the troll? Why is she still friends with them? <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Podcast Why has she not moved on? Exactly. <laughs> and Aaron, we want to thank you so much for being such a wonderful, eloquent, prepared guest today. Woohoo! This was so much fun, you guys. I had a blast. This was like my my dream event, and I've just loved being on. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. And if you would like to be on the show, just like Erin, you can head over to alohomora.mugglenet.com and click Be on the Show to find out all of the information about how you can get involved. Um, Just make sure that you have appropriate audio equipment and in the meantime, remember to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes because we love seeing your messages on there. And if you just want to keep in touch with us, make sure you're following us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, or you can give us a call at 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. And also, you can leave us a message through Audioboo, and they are super great, so you should definitely use it, and it's super easy to use. You can do it right on our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com, and there should be a space just on the right sidebar for you to give us a clip. It's free, and all you need is a microphone. And do actually go and visit our Audioboo Owlery as well, because there are some messages on there that you guys send in that we don't get to play on the show, and they're really interesting, so make sure you listen to them as well. And we have a store for all of your muggle wizarding needs. We sell t-shirts with short and now long sleeves, tote bags, sweatshirts, flip-flops, water bottles, travel mugs, and even more items coming soon. We also have the Mandrake Liberation Front and desk pig shirts now available. And Kat's shirt, the obligatory genius moment, has been redesigned recently. We have over 80 products to choose from. We also have ringtones as well. So please go to the store and check those out. And don't forget that we also have our app, which is available, available hopefully, pretty much worldwide. Um, the prices vary, obviously, depending on where you're from. Um, they were around $1.99, and, uh, 99 pence, I think, in the UK. Um, and obviously your currency will apply. Um, and on the app, there are transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and much, much more. So make sure you get it now. And just a last final reminder to vote for us in the podcast awards. Less than one week to get your votes in, and you can do it every day until November 15th. Just go to podcastawards.com and vote daily for Alohomora and People's Choice and Entertainment. Also for Hogwarts Radio and Best Produced and MuggleNet Academia and Education. Remember to use a valid email. Go to your email, verify the vote, or it won't count. Well, thank you all for listening. And with that, I'm Michael Harley. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 56 of Aloha Mora. 
Open the Dumbledore. I'm the better friend. Guys, what is LMF? What does that stand for? What does that mean? Mandrake Liberation Front. Oh, that! <laughs> <laughs> Still alive. Got it.